This is NFL.com's Coaches Show Podcast. 40 men together can't lose. This is why you lift all them weights. Everybody's grabbing out there. Nobody's got them. And now we're going. There's a gleam, men. There's a gleam. Brian Billick and Steve Mariucci here for the Coaches Show podcast. This week, we break down the Cowboys' collapse against the Green Bay Packers and pick our top Coaches of the Year candidate. Plus, is it time to change the playoff format? We discuss that and more as the Coaches Show podcast reviewing week 15 in the NFL starts now. Or kind of right now, all right? Steve, uh, obviously, we got to start with that Green Bay-Dallas game. That was unbelievable. Let's begin with the interceptions at the end of the game, and everybody's talking about uh, Tony Romo changing a run to a pass in that situation. Let's clarify here. He really didn't audible it. They had, what, a smoke route? People call it a smoke route. Some people, they call it a flash route. Let's talk about what that route is and that whole process of having a run that can turn to a one-step. Okay, so we know that quarterbacks are given the liberty to package plays, run or pass, based on the front. We know that they're given the authority to audibleize at times and change it to a completely different play. And some teams will simply have nonverbal communication with a receiver during a run play, on a run play, where the corner's soft and you either throw a smoke route or a slant route or a flash, whatever they want to call it, And you don't need to tell anybody. You just pop up and do that. So everybody else is blocking the run. The running back thinks he's getting the ball, but the quarterback comes up and throws it to the receiver quickly. That's what the play was. And Tony decided to throw the ball instead of stay with the run that was called because that's built into the structure of their play calling and how they play the game. Seems, though, to me, Brian, when you get into certain situations, whether it's a short yardage or a red zone call or a four-minute drill like they were in, that you simply, and, I, and I've done this before, and I'm sure you have too, you call a run like 26 power, run it. 96 stretch, run it, which means there are no audibles. This is what we want to do to chew clock, make them take a timeout or just pound it in there. There are no liberties. Just run the play that we call. Yeah, and, and let's be clear, of course, our coaches show mon- uh, mantra is always, if it works, you're brilliant. If it doesn't, you're the village idiot. Had he been able to complete that? Because he was open. Touchdown. You know, Austin yeah. Miles are really, uh, initially, Miles Austin, excuse me, had the guy beat from the get-go. And, and right when Clay Matthews came in, that flashed him. He had to re-choke it and then throw it. Had he let it a little bit, we'd be talking about what a great play by Tony Romo. What a beautiful call, taking away from the run, hitting a big play inside of four minutes. But I'm with you, clearly, and, and unfortunately for Dallas, this is happening a little bit more than I'm comfortable with. Before, it was just, hey, these are calls. This is the way it goes. But we see it every game, every year. It seems like we're talking about Dallas in a critical situation. Clearly, they had the smoke of the flash route set up as a basic process of the game. But in this situation, you're exactly right. It's incumbent upon Jason Garrett to either tell Tony Romo, remind him whether, whether you tag the call with smoke and then you don't tag it saying that means it's automatic run it. Or like you said, we used to use the word step which means it stays on regardless. So you run your 46 power, you run your 50 ISO, whatever it is you want to run, stat, meaning it does not change. Because clearly in that situation, you don't want to take that chance. And it's those type of calls for Dallas that seem to be keep breaking down. And, and it's everybody's responsibility at that point uh, because it just seems to keep happening and happening for the Dallas Cowboys at the worst possible moment. And you, re- you remember just a few weeks ago, 
uh, because Jason Garrett was not in the loop of the play calling because Billy Callahan was going to do that, and he is doing that. Well, now uh, it's going through Jason, so Jason's giving the play to Tony. So any coaching, coaching points or any reminders would need to be said and can be said by the person, this, in this case Jason Garrett, uh, before the play. And, and obviously, you know, the four-minute drill. Good teams are good at four-minute drills because what that is is I'm winning the game and I'm going to finish this thing off and make first downs and chew up the clock and aim, get the ball back. And so, so uh, they, they clearly need to be better in that case. But to me, uh, it, it would have been one of those 96-stretch uh, run-it plays and then uh, make them take a timeout or let's chew 40 seconds off the clock. But it was a lot more than that, as you know, Brian, because – that was a total team collapse. You, you know that. I mean, the defense gave up 34 points in the second half. That wasn't anything about play calling. That was about just awful defense. And, and I know they're all banged up. But, uh, you know, not being able to finish that game was a shame for Dallas because with the Eagles losing, Aaron Rodgers not playing in that game, it was served on a silver platter. Just go win it. And at home. So, well, let's listen to what Jason Garrett had to say about the play. Uh, Tony threw threw a pass on you know what we call it a um, you know a smoke or a flash is something we we have accompanying some runs if he gets a bad look and that's what happened on the interception it was a run call though that uh, he threw the ball on well and there was more to that where uh, this is the first time I've heard Jason Garrett kind of you know throw his quarterback under the bus kind of saying he shouldn't have done that. Uh, let's talk about that a little bit. And we've always talked about how difficult it is post-game, particularly one like that, to get up there and have oh. to explain to the media. But I, this is the first time I'd be critical of Garrett. And, and, and Jason, as we both know, is one of the really good guys. If you've got a problem with Jason Garrett, it's you, because he really is a good guy. But, <laughs> he is, and I... <laughs> but this is the first time I've really heard him kind of revert to that. I think we're seeing a little frustration and maybe it breaking down a little bit. I don't know that he really needed to say that. I mean, Bill Belichick is the master, and he gets up there and mumbles through. But at the end of the day, or, you know, one of your mentors, Andy Reid, he'd get up there and just say, well, we just, you know, didn't orchestrate it very well. Next question. Yeah. Yeah, and and I think Jason was trying to be honest and just say exactly what happened, but he had a chance to cover his quarterback's butt there a little bit. But he he was telling the truth. They they talked about the the wrong numbers. There was too many in the box, and that – that tells the quarterback to throw the ball or do something different. I would just say this again, in that situation, in a four minute drill, you're always going to get a bad number count. You're always going to get somebody crowding the line of scrimmage because they know you should be running with the ball and you just got to block it up the best way you can and leave somebody unblocked. (laughs) And so they just didn't jump into that situation soon enough. Tony came on in his press conference and he said really the same thing. You know, it was a bad number count and I had, I threw the ball out there because it was there. And I just didn't complete it. So they're being honest, but I think they have to just go back and say, all right, this, we're going to get in this situation again if we're winning a game. And we need to be winning a game. Uh, so when do we just say, forget about all that other stuff that we can do. Smash it up in there with DeMarco Murray because he's a heck of a back and just get what we can. You know, I heard uh, we know that Bill Belichick, you know, slam dunk Hall of Famer and, and probably the strength of what he does. And, and, and also I had a chance to listen to Rick Pitino talking about coaching uh, basketball, and, and your man Izzo, I'm sure, would reiterate that, that there's a lot of things going into it, but in, in both those situations, when it comes down to it, as a head coach, there are four or five situations, situations that you've got to orchestrate. Yeah, you got to have good personnel, and you got to have good structure, and everybody's got to be in the same page and all that, but at the end of the day, there are three, four, maybe five calls, five things that are going to make the difference in a, in, in a big game 
that you've got to be on top of. And that's where I come back to it just seems like in the times that I've had the Dallas Cowboys and I see them in those critical times, that process that we just talked about that should be automatic. You practice it. You cover it. Four minutes, it changes. Whether you take the smoke or the flash off or not, or we have to call it, or whether it's a call, whatever it is, whatever it is that you say you want to do, uh, that's got to be orchestrated. You all got to be on the same page. And it seems like Tony Romo and Jason Garrett, again, I think that's a victim of the Cowboys situation because we know how Jerry Jones oversees everything and Callahan's orchestrating the offense and calling the plays, but no, now he isn't. It's going through Jason Garrett. I can see where Tony Romo's kind of going like, well, you know, I got, I'm getting a little schizophrenic here because I'm hearing a lot of voices, you know, who's in charge here and what should we be doing? And sometimes I think maybe he's left out there on his own devices, and that's not a good thing when it comes to Tony Romo. It is, and it's a shame, too, because, Brian, you know Tony's a darn good player. Yes. He's a heck of a quarterback, and statistically, in the fourth quarter, passer rating for career, wins in a career, all of those things, very, very impressive. He'd love to have that, but it just seems that we, every now and then, talk about situations like this where the Dallas Cowboys call, you know, fall a little short, and it's been a decade and a half now since they've been winning playoff games, and, and uh, I don't know... I, Maybe this communication is one of the issues. Certainly personnel seems to be one of the issues. They don't have enough good personnel on defense. Uh, you never can control injuries. But uh, then they've got Des Bryant, who's, another, oh, who's another guy that, you know, that just adds fuel to the fire here a little bit, even though he's a heck of a player. So they've got, uh, they've got an interesting team to watch. <laughs> yeah, well, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. And he tried to, uh, to apologize, as it were, say he wanted to leave the field. He didn't want his fans and he didn't want the team to see him upset or crying. I, I, I struggle with this one again, this young man. And, and, and again, he's being enabled a little bit. You know, the, Jerry saying he loves his competitiveness and Jason Garrett saying, I love Des Bryant. I absolutely love Des Bryant. Well, you know what? I love my, my daughters and you love your kids. But growing up when they did something stupid, didn't you sit them down and saying, look, you can't do that. That's not what we're going to do here. And, and they need someone right now. They just seem to keep enabling Des Bryant. I don't know how he's going to learn these, these bonehead things. I would actually, and I'll throw it up to you, see what you think. Okay, he wanted to remove himself from the situation. I, I would almost rather have him do what he did in, in Detroit, where he kind of blew up with each other, you know, and kind of went after. At least, okay, that, I'll deal with that. But to just walk off the field, to me, that's, that's the most <laughs> egregious thing you can do because you're turning your back on your teammates and your team. Well, you quit. You know, it's that simple. And so, I, I don't know, I coached 28 years, Brian, and you did too, and, I, and I've never seen that. It never happened to me where a guy walked off the, during a game or a practice. So I, this is all new to me. I, I, I don't even believe what I saw. And I, and I know Andre Johnson did the same thing. And, and uh, what's with this? I don't know. I don't know. But, but with Andre know Johnson, that's the only time he's ever done it. You know, yeah, when yeah. people so, say, well, yeah. it's, it's no worse than Andre Johnson. No, that's the first time Andre Johnson's ever done something yeah, like this. That is the There's difference. a litany of things with Des Bryant that just, uh, boy, at some point they got to learn, you know, whether it's T.O., whether it's Chad Ochocinco. I tell you what's interesting, by way of contrast, I had the Chicago-Cleveland game, and you sit down and visit and watch uh, Brandon Marshall now, who was one of those guys, and we know all the instances Brandon Marshall – to watch how he's grown and matured, yep. to realize, you know what, I'm not going to act like a knucklehead. I don't know whether it's because he now has to be the, the big brother to Alshon Jeffrey. Maybe that role has changed for him. But he's a different guy in terms of not being that diva. Yeah. Those guys need to, to grow up like, like we, it appears a Brandon Marshall has grown up. Yeah, we had him on Thursday night, Brian, and he came to the set because they won and he played well. And he came to the set. He was all suited up. In fact, 
he, he gave us all ties. I mean, he's raising money for things. He gave us a tie. In fact, he probably should give you one to change out that tie you got on today. But, <laughs> See, but only he, it's the same one. I, it's not a clip-on, though. So <laughs> That's like in your locker at the network. You just put it back on. And so, he, yeah, you're right. He's really matured. And, boy, is he a fun guy to be around. Uh, and so, so guys do grow up, you know. And, and I, I hope Dez finds a way to, to get with it a little bit because walking out on your team, um, like you said, it's very egregious. I mean, fans, fans can walk out early because they pay to, to watch. But the players get paid. They can't go out early. They've got to stick it through thick, thick and thin. And, heck, he had a heck of a game. He did. 11 catches, 153 wow. yards and a touch. He played a heck of a game. So he, and he's, he's got to learn he's not the only guy that hurts when they lose. And so he's got to, he's got to be a better teammate than that. Let's, uh, let's move on to a positive note now. Obviously, we're getting the end of the year and uh, had some great coaching of the year candidates based this year. I'm going to start with, uh, with one, Bruce Arians. What he's done in, in mm-hmm. Arizona, I don't know that we, anybody, any of us anticipated that. We were talking about on the set here at TA that here we're in week 15. I don't know, and I've been here every week for 15 weeks. I don't think we've said the words Arizona Cardinal for 15 weeks on a Monday in TA, talking about the Arizona, and here they are, really kind of in the hunt of it. I, I think Bruce Arians has done a great job. He'd be maybe the top of my list. I love that that choice, and they're nine and five, and so much under the radar. But it, it'll come down. Well, they got a tough schedule now, Seattle and San Francisco. But oh my God, what a story! He had to write a book because he was driving away from Pittsburgh. How about that? Renew, yeah, renew, yeah, he was done. Contract. He was done. 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 He's going to go fishing or something, and so. He's going to join us on television. And so he was uh, – and then Chuck Pagano gave him a chance over there. And you know the story of what happened last year. So we're really rooting for him. And, and uh, you know, I, he's, he's got it rolling. Uh, for me, I have two guys. Can I give you two guys? You can give me two because I'm um, going to give you a couple more after that. Oh, okay. Pete Carroll has got the sure. best – it appears to be the best football team in the league. And, and, and John Schneider really has helped as a general manager over there. They're a talented team. They're a deep team. They're a physical team. They've got it all. And, and so to put that all together, as you know, the head coach has got to be doing a heck of a job with hiring his staff and getting the right chemistry. He's got it. That's a very dangerous team. Uh, so I would give him a vote possibly. The other guy he happens to be a friend of mine. Yeah, Andy Reid. We used to share the same office in Green Bay. But you know what? He took over a 2-14 and 14 team. Uh, in Kansas City, he got let go in Philadelphia. You know, I mean, that's uh, it was tough after 14 years. You kind of hit a little bit of rock bottom there, and and uh, and then all of a sudden, what are they? 11 and three, 11 and three, and so that's a heck of a coaching job, a great turnaround. They're still in the hunt for a top seed, and so boy, my hat is off. I mean, it's distance travel too. You know, Pete had a good team last year, but Andy's taking that Kansas City Chiefs team. From two and fourteen to eleven and three in, in in fine fashion. Yeah, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up Ron Rivera. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. I had their game early against the New York Giants when I think they were like one and two, and the Wolves were at the door. I mean, it, yep. all we heard talk was if they lose to the Giants, then they were going to have a bye week. I think it was they're gone, and they were right mm-hmm. talking about who would come in and and to go from that. And and you you know they just they bore up under it and said, look, we're just focused on the game and we're not thinking about that. And you know that you are because that's all anybody's talking about. And then for them to go on the run that they did and to play the way they are now, uh, yeah, I think, and, and that's more from our coaching perspective, uh, you just appreciate someone that has gone through that kind of baptism of fire, and now all of a sudden now you're on the run on the verge of the playoffs. And Chip Kelly, you know, he's done a great job, but a lot of pressure, and I always talk about, too, with Chip Kelly. 
we got to remember, Chip Kelly didn't come blowing in here saying, I'm going to revolutionize the game. I'm going to change the way they're doing That's He didn't come in saying that. We said that. You know, as the media said that. The fans were saying that. That, okay, he's going to come from Oregon. He's going to revolutionize the game. And it's all going to be like the college. Well, that isn't going to happen. And he's adapted to the NFL. His is very much an NFL offense yep. right now. He's got a few things yep. to it. I give him great credit for adapting to it uh, and changing the format the way he did. Uh, and, and changing the base of what he did and doing it now with a change of quarterback. How many of these guys are we talking about yeah. that are successful and had to had to deal with the change of quarterback the way he did from, from Mike Vick to, to Nick Foles? Yeah, and you're right. He adapted. That's a key word because not only did he have to change his offense from Michael Vick's offense and that Oregon thing to more of a conventional offense with Nick Foles, and look at the success that they're having. I was a little shocked that they lost to Minnesota. That was a big win for the Vikings, but... Yeah, he's done a heck of a job. But uh, you're, you're, the guy you mentioned earlier with Ron Rivera, you kind of, and you and I, this hits home with us, I, you know. Yeah. You know, you go from the hot seat, right. and we've been there before, the hot seat, and he, to a coach of the year candidate, boy, you got to love that. And, and uh, Riverboat Ron, and, and uh, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's earned his way up. He was a player in this league with the Bears. He was a young assistant. He worked up the ladder from a position coach to a coordinator and finally got his shot, and I'm really happy for him. And you know what? He's a tough guy. That hot seat doesn't bother him. He just kept coaching, and so it's an exciting team that they're trying to get to that uh, fifth seed, and uh, it's going to be really interesting. Heck, maybe better than that if they beat the Saints, and they very well could next week. Let's switch to the other side of that because there are we are coming up, unfortunately, on the, the firing season. And it's always tough as a coach because it's at the holidays. You know, and there's always someone that always struck me as you're getting into the holidays, you're coming into the new year, that either you or someone you care about care about is 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 gonna go through some difficulty. And we're gonna have four or five changes at coaches like we always do every year. And and that's gonna happen, you know, either on Black Monday or Tuesday or the, after that last game. Uh, and we'll talk about that in the changes, but let's talk about a couple guys. Obviously it's tough. First, let's talk about uh, that experience, you got a guy like Greg Schiano and, and Leslie Frazier and the questions about it. And you know, I'll share my experience when, when I got to the end for me, it was, I, I, I shamedly admit, I had no idea it was coming. You know, the conversations I had had, we'd been 13 and three the, the week, the year before in conversations with my owner and general manager and, and literally a couple days before, and this is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to go forward. And, and this is what our plan is. Great. And then we beat the Pittsburgh Steelers to finish the season. The next morning I come in and, and I'm out of the job. And so, yeah, it happens a lot of ways quickly. What about you? What, 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 how, how? Okay. All right. Let's play Johnny Top Story. Okay. So, um, so when I was with the I – got, I got whacked twice. Okay, Brian. So with the 49ers, you know, um, we, had, we had won 23 games right. the last two years of my contract. And we are all the way to the second round in the playoffs. And uh, Tampa Bay, who ended up winning the Super Bowl, beat us. And then I got fired the next day. And so um, did I see it coming uh, after being a, a good team in the playoffs for a couple of years at the end there? Um, yes and no. You know, you can kind of sense in the building if the general manager is on your side or not. You know, is he the guy that brought you in? Uh, in my case, it was not. Terry Donahue took it over and, and uh, I wasn't Terry's guy. So there was always that thought, well, you know, regardless of what you do, um, you know, he might go ahead and get his own guy. And they have their... They have that prerogative, right? Sure. Uh, the Detroit thing was crazy because before the season started, before even before the season started, 
uh, Matt Millen was, you know, reminding me if you're zero and two at the bye, you're probably going to get fired. That was, that was encouraging. And so it was like one week at a time. You just try to hang on, just try to hang on for dear life. And then I got whacked after Thanksgiving. So, so uh, the guy, the guys that climb out of that, um, where you are, uh, you know, in trouble and, and being evaluated with every little thing that you do, um, uh, I really tip my hat to them because it's uh, it's not just pressure on the coach; it's pressure on the families. 20 families, right? And uh, the guys that you brought in too, maybe the next guy is not going to want that kind of system or whatever. So it's a, I, I, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to try to win and keep our jobs. Well, let's talk about a guy that, that isn't in that position necessarily in Tom Coughlin, but I do want to bring up and talk about one of our mentors, Bill Walsh, talked about that you really can't be in the same position for more than eight or 10 years because then it just, it just, it takes too much to go forward. And that tends to, if you're lucky to last that long, because typically, if you're lucky enough to last that long, I mean you've been pretty good earlier, or you get whacked a whole lot earlier than that, and then mm-hmm. you're going to go into a dip. But Bill Cower didn't make the playoffs in year seven, eight, nine, and the organization stuck with him. They came out of it and went on and won a Super Bowl. Let's talk about Tom Coughlin, because certainly with two Super Bowls and his legacy, but let's talk about that idea. Uh, you think there's some legitimacy to their, a coach being there long enough that at some point, no matter how good you are, no one will question Tom, <clears throat> the legitimacy of Tom Coughlin and probably going to the Hall of Fame. Does there come a point where it's just too cumbersome to go forward? There's too okay. much white noise around it? All right, good. That's, that's the good conversation because, first of all, I hope that they allow Tom to decide if he wants to coach next right. year. And it he, should be his he, right. He very well may be a Hall of Fame coach, okay? So for it'd be, there'd be egg on their face if they fired a Hall of Fame coach. Um, so I think, I think they're going to allow him to decide if he wants to come back next year or not. But – your point about Bill Walsh, when I was hired by the Niners, Carmen Policy told me, he said, because I asked him, I said, why is George Seifert not the coach? He won two Super Bowls. Yes. Brian. And he said, he said, Steve, he said, there is a shelf life for a coach. I go, what do you mean? He says, the shelf life for Bill was 10 years and he had a great run, but it was time. It was time to have a new voice. And then the shelf life for George was eight years. And he said, Steve, he says, Regardless of how well you do, now, and you have to do well to stick around for a while. If you don't, like you said, you're gone. But he says there will be a time for right. you to hit the road, too. And he says who knows how long that is. But they, they believed that there was a shelf life, and then you need a change in philosophy, a voice, an approach, a breath of fresh air, so to speak. And that was the 49er way of doing business. And, and I think some people subscribe to that. In some ways, I do, too. You know, Andy Reid lasted for 14 years. That's, a, that's all, two marathons, right? And so, uh, you know, maybe, maybe everybody needs a fresh start after a while. Yeah, and the fact that it's become a general manager league, like you say, that relationship, to maintain that relationship for that period of time, it's, uh, yeah, it's an interesting concept. Yeah, you're right, uh, and I can't imagine the Mariners aren't going to give uh, Tom Coughlin that option. But uh, mm-hmm. let's flip it around just a little bit. Uh, it's hard to see that as a coach. Because you believe, no, I can get it turned and we can do some other things. Or, and he went through this before in Jacksonville yep. and, and found that when he made the change and he went someplace else, it's like, okay. And Andy's finding that now in Kansas City. You know what? I might not have been able to do this in Philadelphia. The new start is good. You know, th- that's a tough one to, to, to look at yourself, but there may be something legitimate to that. Well, I, I hope Tom comes back next year because he's got so much to offer his players and his coaches. He's one of those... He's one of those grinders, but he's a teacher, and he's, he's good for the league. Not even good for the Giants. He's good for the league, 
And he's got 12 grandchildren. I don't think if he, if, when he ends his time in New York, he's going to go someplace else. I don't think so. I don't. Did he tell you he would keep coaching somewhere else? Well, Start over? I don't well, know. I don't know about um, that. Yeah, that's Judy uh, wouldn't like that. So, um, in case you haven't so noticed, these jobs can kill you. Just, just ask, you know, just ask uh, John Fox and just ask Gary Kubiak because you can go down now. Yeah, I mean that's it's it's there's a lot to it. You know, we're you know this, Brian. We're not the only coaches, not the only profession that works a lot of hours with a lot of stress. We we all know that, um, but it's just one of them. And uh, we live it every minute. And so uh, it's an honor to be a coach in this league, but it comes with, uh, with, a, with a little bit of pressure. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about this. Uh, and, and we'll hit on it briefly, but I'm going to get on my yearly mantra, as I always do. I right. just did a thing for TA where you put out the, the, the playoffs and how you think it's going to go. And very much in the, in the AFC, we're likely going to see what could be maybe a 13-3 and Kansas City team be the fifth seed and go into Indianapolis, if it uh, holds according to, that could be 9-7. and seven. Oh. Now, I, to me, I'm, I'm, what I'm getting at is I think they ought to recede the playoffs. I understand you're in the division. You should get a home game. No. If you're in a crummy division like Indianapolis is in the AFC South and you're lucky enough to be in a crummy division and win it at 8-8 eight and eight or 9-7, and seven, you got your reward. I, I don't like the fact that a possibly 13-3 and three team like Kansas City should go on the road for their first round of the playoffs. Am I, am I uh, barking up the wrong tree? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing. Okay. Brian, well, now let me ask you. <laughs> Go ahead. And that's a coach to show podcast. Okay. So I was in San Francisco uh, twice, twice at 12 and four and traveled because we uh, didn't win the division. We won it 13 and three one year, but we were 12 and four twice and ended up traveling, traveling. Just so this is a lot like what Kansas City could be traveling to teams without the same kind of record. Okay. And it was disappointing. Yeah. Uh, he's like, hey, they should come to us. But I had to go to frozen tundra Green Bay and play the Packers uh, with a 12-4 and record. And so that's just how it is. And I think the league's thinking, Brian, is that let's keep the sanctity of these divisions in place and fight for the, the title of the division title. And, and, and even though there, are, there will be some divisions, yes, that are not as good as others, for the longest time the NFC East was like dominating division. Well, now... It's the some people call it the NFC least. And so I think over time, those things shift and balance up a little bit. But it's a, a sort of a reward for winning that darn division. OK, and then the next two best teams. All right. You travel someplace because you just you're second placers. You're a second place team. You're not you're not deserving of a home game right away in the playoffs, uh, even though even though uh, you have a great record. So uh, I don't think they want to change that. I think they want to keep the uh, the right to win the division as your ticket to a home game. And I, I buy that. I'd like to see – I don't think we're going to uh, jump to 18 games anytime soon, even though Canada plays 18, even though we played 18 in the USFL. Um, I don't think we're going to go to 18 anytime soon, nor are we going to expand. But I wouldn't mind seeing an extra team or two uh, in the playoffs. Um, yeah, that. but I don't want to get like hockey where you play, you, you play 82 games and eliminate three teams. You know, to me now you're you're depreciating the vet. The great thing about the NFL is there's only 16 games, and they carry so much weight, and there's so much emotion from every single week. And and I, I'm not opposed to expanding, but I think that might put you on a road. You know, I, I just don't think. First off, you only play six division games, 
And right. if you're in a weak division, just what you said, and I win the division because it's a weak division, I mean, this is America. This is a meritocracy, okay? And if I've, if I've won more games, all right, I deserve the fruits of my labor. And if, I've, if, I get, if I'm 12 and 4 and you're 8 and 8, okay, you won the division, but you're in a crappy division, well, who says you should? Why shouldn't my fans be allowed on a 12 and 4 team? Who, okay, so be it so that the number one team in the league, the, the, the Seattle Seahawks, have, you know, only lost one or two games. And, and uh, I just, I don't, I, I think there ought to be from a competitive balance standpoint. And it, it's, I'm, I'm crying in my beer here because it's not going to happen because the owners do want to hold on to that winning the division and hold, you know, that, like you say, there's value in the division, but you only play six division games and we're all playing one another anyway. I, it just doesn't. Uh... Uh, but Brian, Brian, what if we just added, because because more game, the reason we're talking about expanding 18 games is more money, right? More television, more everything. What if we just added, just simple, one more wild card team in the NFC, one more wild card t- team in the AFC, and that team would play the second seed. The first team would still get that bye, right. that rest right. at home. So that's one more big game on Wild Card Weekend that would go on television, be a national televised game. So you'd, you'd be talking about two new big games, and two more city, two more cities would have you know the right to play in the playoffs, and it wouldn't affect the structure really at all. And it'd be a little more juice to the whole thing. I'm with you. In fact, I'll tell you what. Let's do that right now. But I'll trade you. I'll go for well, the expanded playoff if you'll reseed. I'll go for the hey. extra team, but let's reseed it. That's your choices. You can either do it the way it is now, or we can expand it by one in each. But you got to reseed. Take a choice. No, I'm not doing that because I tell you what. Let me just throw another fork in your your philosophy there. Okay, so let's say you are. Let's say you are. Let's say you're 12 and four, like you said. Okay, like I was twice, and I ended up traveling, and and I win my division. I'm over here in another division, and I win the division at eleven and five, but I have the toughest division known to mankind. Okay, and you play in a slappy division because everybody's hurt or whatever. Okay, are you saying that me winning the division at eleven and five in the tough division? should travel to you because you had an easy schedule. But my slappy division is only six games. I got ten other games I've had to earn it on. Okay, maybe yeah, you're in a tough yeah. division, but it's only six games. What'd you do yeah. with the other ten? And, yeah, our, and, our, and we're probably six, pretty equitable six at that point. Six easy games, or six games, but you only beat me by one game. And I had to slug it out every, every week. Mm, I don't think, I'm not buying it. You're not buying, I'm not buying it. it. Okay, okay. Well, okay. Not yet. Not yet. All right. Well, we'll talk about that again at some point. Give me your takeaway from the weekend. Number one takeaway from the weekend. What oh, jumped geez. out at you? Well, here's what jumped out at me. Just when you think you got things figured out with the with the seeding and who's good and who's not good, six out of the five out of the top six teams seeded in the AFC and the NFC lose. You got the Broncos losing on Thursday night at home, right? You got the Patriots losing, the Bengals losing, the Saints losing, the Eagles losing. All these good teams that we think are just coming apart at the seams. And they might be great next week, but this is what the league wants. There are 20 teams, Brian, here in Week 16 that are st- that still very much alive in the playoff chase. That's unbelievable. Yeah, I tell you what jumps out of me along the same line, if I'm not mistaken, five teams scored 30 points or more and lost Whoa. this weekend. That 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 uh, that's you know that's that's a reminder of just how explosive this league is right now. And so, uh, but that makes it exciting. It's lots of scoring football. Uh, and the weather was obviously a little bit better this weekend. But, uh, yeah, it was exciting either way. And I'm, uh, we're going to find out how this all plays out going by the wayside. That'll do it for this week's 
edition of the Coaches Show podcast. Make sure to go to iTunes to download it every week where Moose and I are going to break down all things NFL from the Coaches' perspective on the Coaches Show podcast.